Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is Jonathan Michael, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, in just a minute as we are doing this thing remotely and keeping with our social distancing. Before we get started, I want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go ahead and visit audibletrial.com slash wrapup for a special offer for our listeners. So if you go ahead and visit that link, you will get three free audiobooks. Not one, not two, but three as a special offer to our listeners. If you like podcasts, folks, and you want to gain some more knowledge, Audible books are the way to go. I really enjoy them, and I hope you will too. There is no risk. Try it out. Completely free. Also want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter, at JM, as in Jonathan Michael, Sports Wrap Up, and at Marv underscore Wrap Up. We have a lot of great news to get into, folks. A lot of things going around in the NFL. It's the gift that keeps on giving. But let's begin our first quarter and talk about Super Bowl contenders. This NFL season is no doubt going to be different. There are going to be issues. There are going to be problems. There's going to be a lack of OTAs. There's going to be a lack of practice. And it's interesting when I look at it and I draw a comparison to what's going on in our country as a whole. We're looking to reopen our country at some point here soon so that we can reopen the NFL and have a season. And I do believe that we will have that season, maybe without fans, which is another obstacle, but it will be there. I find it interesting when I look around, though, and I see the media covering all sorts of problems. They want to focus on the problem. That's their business model. I get it. It sells. You want to watch. It scares you. And some of it's legitimate. Some of it maybe not so much, but there's plenty of optimism depending upon where you look. I don't know if it's my bias, it may be, but I tend to look to the optimistic side. I look for solutions. When the media and everyone is losing their minds, I look to innovators. I look to people that can provide something to disrupt the problem. I look at Bob Iger, who was leaving Disney. He's now coming back. He has what they believe could be a solution to their problem. Elon Musk, while everyone's saying we don't have any ventilators, Hey, I can make some ventilators. So who are and what teams are going to be the innovators this season? Which team or teams is going to take the bull by the horns and say, we got this, we have solutions, we can look down this gun barrel, and we can come out better than we've ever been before? Now, everyone's really excited about free agency. Everybody got new players. Teams have a positive outlook. But we have that issue where teams aren't able to be together, and that's going to create issues for those teams. There is one team out there that I see that is head and shoulders above the rest. And that is the Kansas City Chiefs. It's tough to repeat as Super Bowl champions. It rarely happens. The Kansas City Chiefs 
are returning 20 of 22 starters. They got a couple guys by the name of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I think you've heard of them. They're kind of my Bob Iger and Elon Musk. They have solutions when there are problems. Andy Reid gets the most out of his players. I'm certain that he's going to get the most out of them, even in a pandemic. Mahomes has the infectious positive attitude. By the way, he is the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't think anyone can dispute that. This is a team that was down 20-10 to 10 in the Super Bowl and overcame when everyone thought it was over for them. Oh, and by the way, that team, the Patriots, yeah, they lost 50% of the equation to win the Super Bowl. Bill Belichick and the Patriots may be back, but it's not going to be this season. I look around the rest of the league. The Saints, you added Emmanuel Sanders. That's nice, but you fool me every year, and you can't get it done in the playoffs. The Vikings, nice, but yeah, you have Kirk Cousins. Uh, sorry, you won once against the Saints, but I'm not going to buy that. Okay, I'm going to need to see a lot more than that. Packers, second-year coach, declining star quarterback, still really like Aaron Rodgers. Not sure it's quite there for them this year. The Ravens, you know, I've begun to love Lamar Jackson. I've come around on him, but he had quite the season last year. Even Patrick Mahomes' number dropped off after the MVP, and he had a very unique style that after a whole season of coaches sitting at their houses, not being able to do anything, I think they've watched a lot of tape, and they're going to figure him out a little bit. His numbers are going to come down a little bit. He's going to have a very good season. But I don't know if the Ravens are going to be able to take the jump to the Super Bowl. So while we all sat here and we thought, whoa, it's over. The Patriots are over. We're going to return to this mediocre state of the NFL where anyone can win, and there's more equality. I'm here to tell you, that this looks like the perfect storm for the beginning of a new dynasty. One of the problems with economic crisis is that it seems to make the rich richer. And the Kansas City Chiefs are not only a great team returning a lot of starters, but they caught one heck of a break. We're looking at the rich getting richer and the potential next dynasty in the NFL. I want to bring in the marvelous Joey Thompson here. Marv, how are you doing today? Hey, what's up, Jonathan? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Marv. I want to know if you're having as much fun as I am playing. Is it allergies or is it coronavirus? I'm having a lot of fun doing that every day. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been great. I hope everyone's staying safe. I'm glad we're able to do this and remain socially distanced. But I look at the health crisis, Marv in uh, my opening segment, and I look at the coronavirus and how it's going to affect the NFL season, and we hear a lot about complaints from the NFL and from the media just in the public, and I saw this number, 20 of 22 starters returning for the Chiefs, and I see these innovative problem solvers in Patrick Mahomes, in Andy Reid, who I know can bring out the best in the most difficult of situations. We saw it in the Super Bowl. We've seen it throughout Andy Reid's career. Taking all of that into account, I like the Chiefs, but I know you have kind of a different idea in the AFC. Who do you think looks good for the way too early Super Bowl champions or Super Bowl favorites? That's a very good question, and it took me a while, quick second to think about it. 
And I really like uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I like that the Baltimore Ravens added to a strength this offseason by adding multiple defensive linemen to their front seven. Uh, they did not lose anyone in their offense. So it's another year that Lamar Jackson gets to play in the same offense. He uh, played in the last two seasons uh, with Greg Roman. And also uh, their young skill players like Hollywood Brown. All those guys, you know, have another year in the system. Also, not to mention, uh, their running game should be stout again. Uh, they have everyone returning on their offensive line. I like, so I really like the Ravens. I think the Ravens have a chance to give the Chiefs a running for their money. I can get on board with that. I can see them giving a uh, run for the Chiefs' money. But here's my little pushback on that thought, Marv. Lamar Jackson had an incredible season, but what we've seen so many times, we see a Patrick Mahomes who plays a different style, but his numbers drop off in uh, post-MVP year. We see Dak Prescott's after his initial success dropped off a little bit and then bumped back up. Point being that young quarterbacks, once they get more tape on you, they're going to be able to contain you and be able to challenge you and make you play quote unquote left-handed um you just figure out what you do poorly and make try and make you do that and beat you that way do you have any concern about this with the ravens going forward and uh lamar jackson taking a step back i mean basically this season was lamar jackson's sophomore season he didn't play a full season his his uh, rookie year of course so i think he's the type of player that He's getting better with time. I don't think he's going to take a step back. And here's why. Because this NFL offseason has been, of course, as we all know, has been marred and uh, slowed down by what's going on outside world with the pandemic that's going on. So teams aren't able to really practice as much. OTAs have been turned into virtual OTAs, which are going to begin towards the end of this month of April. So... I think it's going to be tougher for teams to zero in uh, because the less practice time, the less time a lot of these guys are going to be together and watch film together. So I think that's going to affect and make it easier for teams like you mentioned, the Chiefs and like the Ravens, who I think will, since they've kept majority of their team intact and the same playbooks, that they'll continue to have success over teams that are, you know, got a brand new head coach and are adding a bunch of new players and are trying to stop these guys. It's going to be tough, and I think that's why I don't think the Ravens would take a step back. I mean, it's a possibility, but, I mean, the way things are going, it's going to be a constant. The teams that already were good are going to continue being good uh, next season or this season, upcoming season. Now, coming into it, I had the perception that Lamar Jackson, and we know this and it's been well-documented, that he is the kind of the hardest worker in the room. And that's what's really won me over about him and made me start to trust in his abilities to be a long-term solution at the quarterback position. If our listeners remember, if you remember, I doubted Lamar quite a bit in the beginning, and he's proven me wrong. But I definitely see your point to where they are going to have a certain level of fluidity, just like the uh the Chiefs, just like the Chiefs, and and that makes these two teams really uh, kind of a showdown, like the Colts and like the Patriots of old. So as many were thinking, maybe this was the season that we're going to have a little bit more open competition for the championships. I see the power remaining heavily at the top, especially in the AFC. 
but we're going to see what happens. We're, we're making some early predictions here. We want to see how they play out and we want you guys to hold us accountable. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's move on to our second quarter and talk about Drew Brees signing with not a new team, but NBC Sports. You might have seen in the news that Drew Brees signed a contract with NBC Sports to be the next color commentator for more than likely Sunday night football. He'll be replacing Chris Collinsworth when he decides to retire. This is good news for sports fans. Drew Brees will undoubtedly be a great color commentator. Nobody knows more about the NFL than Drew. And I'm really excited to be watching those games. I've aired my grievance with the New Orleans Saints. It is that they fool me every year. I come in on the downward and then I get up on them during the regular season saying, okay, I was wrong. I was on the downward trend thinking that they were coming down and they look like they're rising up. And they come back crashing down in the playoffs, and they can't take that last final step. This year is no doubt going to be the same challenge and the same difficulty of taking that next step. There's a lot of pressure. This is likely Drew Brees' last season. Not only is Drew Brees now 42 going on 43, and I don't think he's exactly Tom Brady in terms of taking care of himself. I'm sure he does. But this is a uphill battle to begin with, a team that I didn't believe in to begin with. But the signing with NBC Sports raises another red flag for me as to why the Saints, despite the hype and the excitement after signing Emmanuel Sanders, this is the next offensive piece that we need to take this offense that often struggles in the playoffs and elevate it like it is in the regular season. Have you ever left a job before? Most of you have. It's just human nature on your last day, your last month, when you know it's over and you know you have something set up in the future. You can't help but move on and think about that opportunity, what that's going to be like. It's just human psychology. You, you get caught up in it. You think about it. You can't not. It's there. It's permanently planted in your brain. So while I have no doubt Drew Brees is smarter than me, smarter than most of you listening, he's somewhat of a football savant, a football genius. Nobody works harder than Drew. But you can't tell me that he's going to be 100% there. He may be 98% there. He may be 99% there. But there's going to be a little piece of him that's kind of moved on because he's made those arrangements. This is another, I don't want to call it nail in the coffin, but this is another negative mark for me against the Saints. I've been looking at Drew Brees thinking that he may fall off in his physical play. To this point, he's proven me wrong. He's carried on. He's looked great in the regular season, but he's turned out to struggle in the postseason. And with that 
NBC Sports contract looming. I'm not sure that this year is going to go any better for the Saints. Marv, I saw the news come out this week that Drew Brees signed a deal with not a team, but a television network, NBC. He's 42 years old, Marv, and uh, he takes care of himself, I'm sure, and does everything that he can, but he doesn't strike me as possessed like a Tom Brady. Tom Brady is one of one. And it concerns me that he has one foot out the door, if not consciously, subconsciously, because this deal is done. He's got that in the back of his mind. Is this going to have an effect on Breeze? Are we going to see Father Time catch up to him this year? I think we'll start seeing it catching up to him maybe in year two of his contract. Uh, this offseason, as we all know, Drew Brees signed a two-year extension, $50 million guaranteed money with the New Orleans Saints. And right after the Saints did that, they went out and signed Emmanuel Sanders and added some pieces uh, to the puzzle to make the Saints a win-now team. I think uh, what this did is put a little bit more urgency in their championship window for the New Orleans Saints. As we've seen the past two years, they've come short uh, by the championship game. They've always found a way to lose or some crazy circumstance happened and they found a way to lose. So I think it does give the wrong message that Drew Brees is already looking forward to life after football. And you would think that maybe he would be a little bit distracted and possibly looking forward to being in the booth rather than being on the field. But I think he, Drew, you know, knowing Drew Brees, not personally, but professionally watching him on the football field, he's a guy all about his business. So I think he mentally is prepared to go out there and give it his all. I think we're going to see kind of like a Peyton Manning type deal where, in this, like I said, the second year of the contract, we're going to start seeing him deteriorate badly. And that's when we will know that, you know, he's already already checked out basically so this is the year for the saints if anything they're gonna have to win it or at least compete this year because i fear that in the second year is when it's really the noise is gonna get louder that you know drew Brees is really ready to hang it up i don't question drew Brees's preparation you hear stories out there about him going through mental reps for 45 minutes an hour while everyone's gone, maybe longer than that. Incredible stories. But his age is the concern, and it's just to be human, to be distracted. He's got a lot of kids. He's got a lot of things going on, and now he has a NBC TV deal. Like you said, you can't help but think about what's next. What is the next step? How's that going to affect my life? What's going to be different? How's that going to affect my family? And I don't like the message that that sends to the team. And it's Drew Brees. I get it. We're never going to doubt his abilities. And you're going to want him around for as long as you can. They did add Emmanuel Sanders. As you said, that helps. Do you think that's really going to put them over the top? Because when I watch the Saints, I see they overwhelm people in the regular season and take advantage of poor competition. But it looks like when you get that high-level defensive pass rush, Against Drew Brees, he struggles because he's short. That's just a physical limitation. But is Emmanuel Sanders going to be able to put him over the top to get kind of that outlet when that pass rush is on him in the playoffs? I think so. I think he adds a different element to the Saints offense. He's a really good route runner. 
He's a really good run after the catch guy where he, you throw a quick slant to Manuel Sanders. He has the, how I say, athletic ability to take it to the house. So, you know, knowing, watching Emmanuel play for the last five seasons in Denver, or last four to five seasons in Denver that he played, because one of the seasons was cut halfway short because he got traded, of course. Uh, he was the a go-to guy underneath. Emmanuel Sanders also went deep a lot. But, of course, now he's up in age. He's become more of a underneath type of guy. And I think that's going to help Drew Brees a lot. He's going to be one of his scapegoats when he's maybe under pressure. He knows Emmanuel Sanders is going to be there underneath to catch the ball. Uh, he had Michael Thomas. And, of course, when as we saw last year, when the pressure was on and he tried to force it to Michael Thomas, the guy intercepted. So now, you know, if he has more weapons, I think it's just going to open up their offense that much more and make it a little bit easier for Drew Brees to get the ball out quicker. I think that's a good take because to be fair on the other side of my criticism, at the end of last season, I don't have the number in front of me, but you can take my word for it. It was... Michael Thomas had 143 catches, I believe was the number, chasing Marvin Harrison in the record for most receptions in a season. And the second person on the team for second most catches was 19 with Ted Ginn. Uh, that, that is a huge disparity. And you could definitely make the argument that in the playoffs, as you said, Drew Brees would look to Michael Thomas and throw a pick and force it because that was his guy. And now he has somebody else to throw to, and that's a dangerous offense. And it might very well put him over the top. I was just hoping to see that team without this NBC clutter in the mind of Drew Brees. But let's watch and see how it happens because I've been wrong more than once, and we'll see how it goes. Before we get into our draft analysis of the prospects, I want to get into our third quarter and talk about some NFL Draft trade rumors. There's a rumor out there that the Atlanta Falcons are looking to trade up and nab their quarterback of the future. They want to move up from the 16th slot, and they want to get their guy. I don't know who that is. Tua, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, but they're looking at moving up. I get it. Matt Ryan is 34 years old. Matt Ryan has not been the same without Kyle Shanahan. And I understand it's the general manager and the coach's job to evaluate talent and draft the players that they want. But there's always exceptions to the rule. And I do believe that this is a time that the owner needs to step in and say, no, you're not going to do that. And maybe it's partially because I'm not ultra bullish on this year's quarterback draft class. Like I said, we'll get into that in the next segment. But I notice a theme if you pay attention closely to what happens in the NFL. And it really makes sense that a coach in this trend, a general manager who's kind of on the hot seat, they want to draft a quarterback. It's kind of like when you're in a bad relationship or in a marriage that's on the fritz and you say, hey, let's have a baby. Maybe that'll help. Maybe that'll 
work it out. Maybe that'll bring us closer together. When coaches and general managers are in trouble, they need something to bring them closer to the team so that they can't get fired. What's the best way to do that? It's to draft a quarterback. You can sell hope for the future. We got the guy. Just give me a couple years, a couple more years. We'll work it out, but we got the guy. It's a nice story to tell the owner, Arthur Blank, who gave Dan Quinn a gracious second chance. Late season resurgence led to 7-9, and nine, but this team was dead in the water for most of the year. Quite frankly, I thought it was time for Dan Quinn to go, and Arthur Blank is a gracious owner, a very uh, admirable pro- professional, very patient, and he gave him a second chance. But I'm saying no to this. There's no way I'm allowing a coach and a general manager on the hot seat after having the year that they had to go out and draft a quarterback. This only exasperates the situation that you have with your franchise that needs to rebuild. It makes it worse. If you have to fire them at the end of the season, you're going to have a new coach, a new general manager that have to work with a quarterback that they didn't draft. It's like a baby that they didn't choose to have. They just have to deal with it. They have to deal with him. You have a player, a quarterback, who's on their second coach, their second GM. It creates instability. And it's a way to set up your franchise for big problems in the future because you're continually having to make moves to compensate for the last wrong move that you made. If you want to know what that looks like, you can go look at the Cleveland Browns. The Atlanta Falcons have been a model of consistency. They've had very good quarterback play. They've had some up and down seasons, but mostly up. Michael Vick, Matt Ryan, a couple years in between, a lot for fans to be excited about. A franchise that maybe hasn't gotten it done, but they've been close. I don't want to see Atlanta with a situation where They end up drafting a Josh Freeman or a Mitchell Trubisky to save their franchise. Maybe a guy that can win a couple games here or there, but he's not the right fit for the future. Forcing it, having that baby that is in a relationship that is more than likely going to sink. You have a quarterback who's 34 years old. He's got a couple years left, and he was up 28-3 in the Super Bowl against the vaunted Patriots. If you can't get it done and create a winning season with their talented roster, with that quarterback, I'm sorry, you've got to go. This isn't the time to start making excuses and drafting and selling hope. It's time to put up or shut up in Atlanta for Dan Quinn. We'll see what happens. Marv, the Falcons sit at number 16 in the first round, but I'm hearing a little chatter that they want to move up and take a quarterback as successor for Matt Ryan. Should they seriously be considering this move? If you want a serious um, answer, I would say no, but I've been doing also a little bit of research about that because I heard that story a couple of days ago, and I did a little bit more digging and also heard a rumor that 
the Falcons are desperately trying to trade up into the top 10 so they can land Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina, defensive tackle. Uh, he's a stud guy, he's beast, athletic specimen. Uh, the Falcons lost a couple defensive linemen this offseason, and so they're looking to add to their pass rush and uh, keep bulking up their defense to you know, have a little bit more balance on their team to help the offense because their offense last season, as we saw, would put up monster numbers, but the defense couldn't keep up. So I think the Falcons are really more looking towards building the defense. Uh, I heard that same rumor about the quarterback, but I don't think that's a real – I think it's a smokescreen to you know get teams to possibly trade up. But I think the Falcons are all in on, on Javon Kinlaw. Now that would make sense. This is a team with talent. It's a tough division in that NFC South. Tom Brady just joined. Those vaunted Saints have been up there for a long time. Panthers aren't too shabby either, adding Teddy Bridgewater. And they have Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore at wide receiver, budding star. They added Robbie Anderson, the wide receiving uh, star, let's call him, out of New York Jets. He's kind of a deep threat guy, but he is very talented. So it's a tough division. But I just didn't want to see them go the route of a quarterback. They have a quarterback who was up 28-3 to on Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. He's getting up there in age. Neither you nor I really love Matt Ryan. But you're not going to get much better in this draft, I don't think. And you're not going to do it for the short term. Looking at this roster as a whole, Marv, the Atlanta Falcons, where might you see them finishing in terms of record for this year? I can see them... Getting about nine wins, maybe ten wins, and sneaking in to that final playoff spot in the NFC. Uh, they have the talent on the offense. Is their question? Big question mark has always been their defense. As after that Super Bowl meltdown, their defense has been atrocious the past couple seasons, and they've been struggling to stop the other team. They'll, the Falcons, I mean, their offense has been putting up points. That's for sure. But that defense was, has been so bad. I mean, so it makes sense if they, you know, build their defense through this draft and and continue to do that. I think that's going to help them win at least nine to ten games. Uh, if you look at the rest of the NFC South, you mentioned the Panthers. I don't see the Panthers getting that much better with uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, you got the Buccaneers will more than likely finish first or second. And then you got the Saints who should get better. So I would say – It'll be a battle between the Saints and the um, the Buccaneers for first place. And then, of course, Atlanta will be a, a third-place team who possibly could make sneak into the playoffs with about nine wins. Yeah, let's not let our audience forget that there is a seventh playoff spot for each conference now. So three teams from one division is likely to happen to make the playoffs. That's kind of where I saw them as well, sticking with Matt Ryan. If you ride it out, you can slide in, and once you're into the dance, you never know what's going to happen. So why bail on the plan? So I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping they go with Kinlaw because that seems to be the smarter move. Build up that defense. That offense has been putting up points. You can't always blame the quarterback when things go wrong. Matt Ryan is uh, better than most in this league. He may not be in our top five, but he's done very well, and Atlanta will definitely be an interesting team to watch if they make the right moves. And now we're off to the main event, the fourth quarter. Let's get into some draft analysis. We're going to talk about our top five quarterbacks, and then Marv is going to give you the top prospects in the draft. 
that uh, do not play quarterback. He's going to give you some names to watch on draft day and beyond. So here we go. Now, normally I go five to one, but I think that there's a little bit more drama here going one to five on the quarterback prospect list. So I'm going to go from my number one prospect down. I'm going to give you a couple reasons why I have them in that slot. And I know people like visuals. So who might this person look like in the NFL? What are their comp? You know, who is their comp? So I'm going to give you a little bit of everything here. Number one, not a surprise to everyone, going to go number one in the draft, Joe Burrow. There's nothing that he does incredibly outstanding, but there is absolutely nothing he does poorly. He does everything very well. PFF, Pro Football Focus, they put the data, they crunch the numbers, has him as their highest graded prospect since Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was the highest rated prospect since John Elway. So we're talking like big numbers here, things that are looking really good in the favor of Joe Burrow. And to those that criticize him for not being that big, not having that strong of an arm, having those kind of physical offsetting things, he does everything very well. I, I look at him like a test in middle school or high school. You know, you have like 95 questions and those, they're multiple choice. And then you have five points on an essay, kind of those more creative people really good at essays. Patrick Mahomes is a creator. He's one of a kind. But Joe Burrow is going to get 93 out of 95 questions right. And then he's going to get 60% on the SA, three of five. But guess what? That's an A. And I like A quarterbacks. Joe Burrow is my number one. He should go number one overall. Number two is going to surprise a lot of people. Watching the tape, I like Jordan Love. He does have a very low floor, but he has a high ceiling. I see somebody who's kind of a combination, if everything hits right, of Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes. I'm not saying he's going to be that good. But I'm saying that he has much of the same abilities. He's not incredibly fast, but he's very elusive. He's able to move around in the pocket. He plays very athletically. He has a great arm, a rocket arm, very agile and athletic and throw from any angle. So I like him a lot. You know who else is all those things, but it didn't work out? Mitch Trubisky. That's my floor for Jordan Love, but I still have him as my number two prospect because I don't really, at the end of the day, Love this draft, and I want to try and hit a home run here. If I'm going to draft him, I don't see him. Uh, it's possible he's drafted in the top 10, but he could go as low as the 20s, and you could see him become really successful with the Saints, with the Packers, which would really go well for him because he does need to sit for a year or two, so you're going to have to have a coach who has the luxury to be able to do that. Number three, Tua Tagovailoa. I don't understand why everyone is so excited about him. He plays with a lot of top talent. I see his ceiling as Dak Prescott. He is Dak Prescott. He's moderately athletic. He can move around a little bit, and he's very accurate. He doesn't do anything extremely well. My floor is Dak Prescott only on IR. He's injured. He's made of glass. He failed two physicals out of the top 10 teams, and people are concerned about some things that maybe weren't reported in the wrist. He just doesn't know how to take contact. He kind of seems like that Sam Bradford type prospect that's always going to be injured. I'm very concerned about that. Whoever takes him in the top 10 is going to be taking a huge risk. It could work out really well, but I don't see it happening uh, in that way. Number four, this one might also be a little surprising to people. Watching the tape of Jacob Eason, he is more athletic than you think, and he likes to air it out. He has a big arm. Everyone who's uh, paying attention to this knows that. But he was surprisingly accurate in tight windows. You can look at people's numbers on the stat sheet in the in the box score, 
But I like to look at what are your window throws within two yards, those really tight windows with the defenders on them. And he made a lot of those throws. I see a ceiling as Big Ben. He kind of plays like Ben Roethlisberger. He's a big guy, not incredibly mobile, but a little agile, a little flexible. He has a low floor as well. Uh, Josh Freeman, remember him in the Buccaneers, guy with a big arm, some athletic ability, but really didn't pan out, kind of raw. Jacob Eason played for a couple teams, had to transfer a couple times. University in Washington now, but he was with the uh, with Georgia before, had to transfer because of Jake Fromm. Number five, this is a, a lot of people have him higher than me, but Justin Herbert, I don't like him. Uh, ceiling Josh Allen at his best, Josh Allen in Buffalo, not a very fluid player on the tape. And when I'm watching the tape, I see all his highlights come in big, huge, wide open windows designed by the offense. I don't see him being a very rhythmic player. I see him making a lot of moves with his feet. So on the floor, he could be kind of a Vince Young type of player, but was really not impressed in watching him live against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. He did a lot of running to win the game, was 14 for 20 with an interception and 150 yards or so. Really unimpressed, went back to the tape, was not impressed with him. Number five, a lot of potential there, but I don't see it coming to fruition unless he's with the absolute right team. Whew, Marv rattled all those off. I want to hear your top five, and let's see what points of contention we might have there. So if you could rattle off your five for us. Yes, sir. So I got, of course, without a doubt, Joe Burrow's number one. I have Herbert. That's the big difference between uh, your list and mine. I like Herbert. I think Herbert in the right system uh, could thrive. Of course, he's he's a project, as you mentioned. He's like Josh Allen ceiling, but I think he's he could become better than that if he gets drafted by the right organization. They let him sit and they mold him. He's like a a big pot of clay. You just got to mold him into the type of quarterback you want. And he's the type of guy I think that is willing to learn. He has all the tools, so you just got to mold him into the type of quarterback you want him to be. And I think he'll 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 have a lot of potential in the NFL. Uh, since he has all the skill set that today's NFL requires. Now, number three, I have Jordan Love. I love Jordan Love. He's another one that has all the skill sets uh, to thrive in today's NFL. Uh, of course, he had a great, uh, I think it was sophomore year, then he struggled his junior year. Uh, but I think that's because he lost a lot of players to the draft and so-and-so. But I think Jordan Love, Drafted into the right situation as well. He will thrive in about a year or two. Just got to give him some time. He has a big arm. He's a great player. He's good at improvising, which in today's NFL is a big plus. Uh, and then number, let me see. Number four, I have Tua. Of course, you know, I, I, I'm on, I, I stand on the same boat as you regarding Tua. I'm not a big fan of Tua. Tua played in Alabama. I see him as a system quarterback, similar to Dak Prescott. Uh, he came from a system that had Jerry Judy, uh, Henry Rugg, uh, Waddle, and Smith as his top four wide receivers, all future first round picks. Also, he has another guy that's going to be drafted in the top 10. Uh, that's Jedrick Wills, offensive tackle. I mean, he has, he's going to have three guys drafted in the top 15 this, this year's draft. And the next year, he's going to have another two guys coming out going to be drafted probably in the top 10 as well. So, I mean, I'm not really impressed with all that. Um, so that's that's the reason why I have him ranked so low. And also, of course, as we all know, his well-documented injuries in the past, from his ankles to his uh, his hip, 
to now there's a new report that Lombardi uh, reported a few weeks back that he broke his wrist twice during spring training. Now, to me, that that's very alarming. Uh, and then, of course, last but not least, Jacob Eason. I really like Jacob Eason. I've really started to warm up to him the last couple of days. I've been reading a lot about a lot about him and seeing a lot of reports. And uh, Jacob Eason, the reason why he's rated so low is today's NFL is really, you know, really advanced. You got to be mobile. You got to be fast. You got to have a big arm. Uh, Jacob Eason is a uh, is a uh, basically from what I've heard, he's a guy who sits in the pocket a lot. He doesn't move a lot. He's he 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 has good speed, but he doesn't run. As you mentioned, he's kind of like Big Ben. He stays in the pocket and makes those throws. He's st- he's a statue, so that's why he's hurt. He's been, his status has been hurt a little bit in in the eyes of a lot of evaluate evaluators. So we'll see how far he gets drafted. I could see him even being a surprise pick, depending on how desperate these teams are for a quarterback. So that's my top five in quarterbacks. Uh, as you can see, we've, we have some differences in, um, in what we picked. Yeah, some big differences. I want to go over those in a second, but a couple things I want to point out. Uh, looking at the tape and looking at Eason just real quickly, I heard that criticism. I didn't see it as much. I see more athletic ability than people are making him sound like a lead foot balloon. It's not the case. So I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. Uh, you and I have been on the anti, let's not call it anti, but we haven't bought into the Tua hype. And this is not because of the injuries alone. I mean, I was on this since the Alabama game in like October. It was a long time ago. I shouldn't say Alabama that he is Alabama, Alabama and LSU since like October. I said, Burrow's the guy. Tua's not it. And that was kind of a new thing for most people, but I've just never seen it to, as you mentioned, he plays with first round NFL players everywhere, wide receiver tackle, but I want to get into our biggest disagreement here. And that is Herbert. And I want to ask you this, Herbert, I get it. He has all the talent. He's, but he's kind of like, uh, you know, to use a dating analogy, he's kind of like the really hot girl that you, you, you see in a, in a magazine, but you, he just doesn't have the personality. And by personality, I mean, I don't see the rhythm in his game. There's a certain sort of rhythm and intuitive knowledge in the game that you need to have that I do see Jordan Love having, even though he can be sloppy and make turnovers, similar to Mahomes coming out of college. I see the similarities there. But how do you rectify, Marv, putting him as your number two quarterback with that lack of rhythm and lack of offensive conceptual understanding? I mean, I'm really basing it off, like, tape that I've watched. And I watched him a few times play last year when the Broncos were, of course, quote-unquote, in the quarterback hunt. Uh, I locked into Herbert, and I really liked him since last year. I thought uh, if he would have came out last year, he probably would have been, of course, drafted still in the first round. This year, of course, a lot of teams are liking him. and. I don't know. I just, I, some, my gut feeling, cause you know, when you get that feeling that yeah. about a player, I, I feel that he can be pretty good. I mean, I was wrong about Josh Allen. I was not big on Josh Allen coming out, but I mean, if he can be a Josh Allen type player and get drafted into a team like the Chargers, for example, and they give him a little bit of time while Tyrod Taylor takes over the reins. I think he could be successful. I mean, it really depends on where he gets drafted. And that's 
that's why I, I put him so high, only because it all depends on where he goes. If he goes to, let's say, the Dolphins, then of course that that theory goes way out the window because I don't think he would be successful in Miami due to the fact that they don't have a lot of talent around them and a good. I don't know yet, you know, how great of a coach uh, Flores is, but we do know Anthony Lynn is a great coach, and we know the the how I say the team that the Chargers have set up is good enough to help him succeed if, you know, if he gets drafted to the Chargers. And that's the only reason why I have him ranked so high because I think it will be based off where he gets drafted, really. Yeah, and what you're just saying is a great segue to tell our audience that we are going to re-rank the quarterbacks after the draft because, as I've said, I think it's as important, if not more important, where you land. So we're ranking them as prospects right now but we will rank them as uh, professionals before their first game in a coming episode. Stay tuned to that. And just to wrap up that Justin Herbert segment, I think I finally found a better analogy. NFL talent evaluators look at quarterbacks and they, they look at them like they're supermodels. They get all gaga over their measurables. They're six, six like Justin Herbert, and they got a rocket arm and this trait and that trait, but they're really more like Miss USA pageant contestants. They have to have a talent. They have to have a charitable project and a mission. There has to be depth to their person, depth to their abilities. Uh, So I try to look at it that way. And that's where I think he falls short. I think he's just a supermodel of a quarterback because he's tall and he has a strong arm. We'll agree to disagree for now, Marv, but we will reevaluate this before they even play a game, as I said, and we'll kind of break down our where everybody lands and how optimistic or pessimistic we are on that. But before we go, to wrap up the segment, Marv is going to give us players to watch. He's going to round out the uh, sort of top 10 here. We nix the quarterback. So there's going to be seven or eight players. Part of the fun of the NFL is to have some stories, have some background, why we should be watching these players. Marv's going to give us those reasons. Of course, this board is going to start with Chase Young. So I'll, I'll save you the breath, Marv. Everyone's on Chase Young, Hall of Fame, uh, potential prospect out of Ohio State. If you haven't seen him, you probably don't watch much football at all, but he's a great player at defensive end. He's going to be a pass rusher. He'll end up in Washington. But Marv, give us some other names, their schools, their positions, and why we should be watching them. So go. All righty. So next in line, I have Jeff Okuda, cornerback out of Ohio State. Uh, This is possibly one of the safest uh, players in the draft. The guy doesn't do anything really wrong. The only negative he had in his college career is he had one interception. Uh, so, I mean, that all that really means is no one ever threw it his way. I mean, he's just complete corner. Like, there hasn't been a corner coming out in the last couple of years since Jalen Ramsey that can do what Okuda does. Okuda's a complete corner, great guy. Uh, he's, he's just that guy. <laughs> then we have Isaiah Simmons. Offensive linebacker, outside, outside linebacker, uh, outside of Clemson, coming from Clemson. This guy has done everything on the field from playing slot corner to safety to outside linebacker to middle linebacker. You name it. He's been the Swiss Army knife of the Clemson Tigers. The guy was everywhere. I think he's one of the best prospects in this, uh, draft. I mean, the guy is so talented. He ran a 4-3-8, if I'm not mistaken. In the combine, I mean, he's a freak of nature. Uh, there's nothing really else to say about him, but he's a top top four player. 
And then we have uh, Jerry Judy, wide receiver out of Alabama. Uh, Jerry Judy did it all from playing in the slot to playing as an X receiver, Y receiver, you name it. He lined up all over the field. He was the guy that you threw a, a two-yard uh, in route, and he took it to the house. Jared Judy is a technician running routes. He's a great player. Uh, I'm sure in the next few years we're going to hear about he's going to be in the conversation as best receiver. So keep an eye out for Jerry Judy. Then we have Jedrick Wills uh, coming out of Alabama. He's an offensive tackle. Uh, great offensive lineman. Big, strong. Really, He was really good in uh, pass blocking and run blocking. Uh, he was the left tackle for Tua. And these guys down there in Alabama, he was a superstar. I think he has Pro Bowl and All-Pro written all over him. Then we got Derek Brown, defensive tackle out of Auburn. This guy is a machine. He's a monster. You, every time we, I watched any Auburn's game, his name got called at least four to five times. He was always making a play. He was always around the ball. Uh, he always collapsed the pocket. Great defensive tackle. He's going in the top ten. Then we got C.D. Lamb. Wide receiver out of Oklahoma. Uh, I, I like Lamb. I think he's a great receiver. He's a possession receiver. He uh, he has a wide radius uh, catching. He can make any catch you any pretty much. He can catch any pass you throw to him. Uh, he he's played with three different quarterbacks throughout his career in college, and he's been able to still put up the numbers that were eye popping. I mean. He did play in the Big 12, but I think he has the talent. He's not as fast as you would like him to be for his size, but I think his run after the catch and the way he plays makes up for it. Then you have, last but not least, C.J. Henderson, cornerback out of Florida. Now, this guy, a lot of a lot of experts don't love C.J. Henderson, but I love C.J. Henderson. I think C.J. Henderson probably could be as better than Okuda when it's all said and done, if he decides, you know, to tackle a little bit more. But, I mean, his only weakness is tackling. Other than that, the guy can cover with the best of them. He has elite coverage skills. He can play bump and run. He can play zone. He was a stud out in Florida. Great cornerback. And those are the, the top eight players that I have here on my list. That's a great find with Henderson. He's not so much on my radar. Like him, but I will say this, Marv, you said he can't tackle. Fair enough. Jalen Ramsey can't tackle either, and he <laughs> he fetched two first-round picks. Coverage is a hot commodity in this league. I'm really looking forward to just a little commentary on your list. I'm really looking forward to Simmons out of Clemson. As you mentioned, he plays every play, uh, not every play, every position on defense, slot corner, safety, linebacker. People are wondering what position he's going to be. Reminds me a lot of Jamal Adams in the NFL. Could even be upgraded version of Jamal Adams, as crazy as that is the safety for the Jets. Just because he can do so much, he's so versatile. We've never seen a player as versatile as him. And uh, Brown out of Auburn, the defensive tackle. My goodness, when I watched him play this season in uh, a few games against Alabama and a couple other SEC on CBS games, guy was a freak. Uh, his agility and his speed and even his hands making a couple interceptions at the defensive tackle position was just unbelievable. It was one of those situations where, like, this guy is not like the other players, and he was playing against Alabama and Auburn. There's some good players on those teams. 
But Marv, the one beef that I do have is with the CD Lamb plays in the Big 12. It was actually really uh, insightful because I didn't think about it. He played with three quarterbacks and adjusted to every one of them. I think that's important. But uh, Big 12, kind of the system going on with Oklahoma. They always have a ton of offense, bad defense in the Big 12. Do you have anything to say to defend yourself on that, putting him in your top eight non-quarterbacks? I just think he's a, he's, he's a guy that he's not going to – if you draft him, the team that drafts him basically can't think that he's going to come in and he's going to be the number one receiver. I think if he gets drafted to a situation like, let's say, for example, Denver, I think he would be perfect there because they would put him as the number two receiver and he would then be able to learn and get coached up while not taking on all the coverages right off the bat. I think if he goes to a situation, for example, like, Oakland, where he has to be the number one guy, it's going to break him and he's going to struggle early on in his career. So I think this is another prospect that it depends on where he goes that it'll dictate his uh, early success in the league. And that's why um, I have him in my top eight. I think if he goes to a team that knows how to put, you know, plug and play him and put him in the right positions to succeed, he will have a pretty successful early start to his career. I can get on board with all that analysis. My issue is with the top eight. I see a lot of wide receivers in this draft class uh, that are really good. There are scouts out there saying that third and fourth round wide receivers may be starters, pro bowlers. I mean, this is a very deep wide receiver class. So we wouldn't rank them that high, but we'll see what happens. Marv, I want to wrap up our show with this question for you. We look at prospects, we look at individuals a lot when it comes to the draft. But when you're looking at a team kind of on the fringe, some team that uh, maybe they're a Super Bowl team, maybe not. But if they really nailed the draft, it could catapult them into legitimate Super Bowl contention. There may be a piece or two away and some superstars that we don't know about from the draft. Can you think of a team out there that if they nail the draft, they're going to be Super Bowl contenders this season? I really think. The 49ers, I mean, they were in the Super Bowl and they lost it. But if you look at the receivers they had, they had Debo Samuels and Emmanuel Sanders, and that was it. They had a lot of injuries to the receivers. I think if they're able to nail their draft, I think that can catapult them to being even the best team in the NFL. And think about it. If you look at how many games they won last year, they finished as the number one seed in the NFC, and they lacked receiver talent. So they have the 13th pick and the 31st pick in the draft. And I think if they nail those two picks and the rest of the draft with some impact offensive players, I think the 49ers might be the team to beat next season. Well, there you have it. The 49ers could return if they nail the draft, and I can get on board with that. I don't see them being a returning team just because that Super Bowl must have taken so much out of them. But with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, I can believe in them. I have no problem with that. That is the end of our show, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you're listening this far, we'd love for you to leave a review, however you may be listening, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, uh, iTunes, we're everywhere. So please do leave us a review. Also, check out audibletrial.com slash wrap up. Get started with your free trial of Audible Books. If you're listening to podcasts, 
We have a, not a lot going on in society these days, so plenty of time to listen to books and up your knowledge. Marv, do you have anything else for the people? We appreciate you guys. Uh, keep on listening, giving us those uh, good reviews if you are listening. Um, also, keep your head up. As I've mentioned before in past uh, podcasts, we will get through this. This is just a pandemic that's passing by. But at the end of the day, we'll get our sports back and we'll all be happy again. Thank you, everyone. Amen, brother. I'm okay with the lockdown if they uh, put some sports on TV. <laughs> but in seriousness, we will <laughs> we we will get through it and uh, wish you all the best. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all soon. Later, people. And, uh, wish you all the best. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all.